Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome to the Tuesday Power to the Pod edition of Locked On Dolphins here on July 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at DraftNetwork.com. Today is your show. We did this on Friday. And we, uh, we had to pivot because we did the AFC East Ultimate crossover last week, uh, which got us out of the routine of doing this every Tuesday. But I'll be damned if I'm not going to continue to stay locked in and keep pumping these out because the feedback from you guys continues to be impressive. Uh, your reviews continue to be much greatly appreciated. The rules of the game are simple. There is no game first and foremost. It's just your questions and submissions and my answers to your questions. If you are submitting iTunes reviews for the podcast, I will read your question. Guaranteed. It's when I see it. Uh, When I have extra time after the iTunes reviews questions, I will tackle as many locked on fins with a PH fan questions with hashtag power to the pod that I get. If I do not get your question there, odds are I will probably be writing about some of the more compelling questions that I get for USA Today's DolphinsWire.com. One of the challenges there is every day, I got to write five to seven things every day. Well, we're making it work, but you guys have been a a very welcome to lifeline as far as things that Dolphins fans think are interesting to talk about. So with that in mind, we're going to start with the first review, which came on what looks like Thursday, uh, but was not one that I recall tackling. And it's your boy, GBH. Power to the pod question, did you do any pre-draft scouting work on Preston Williams? From what I remember, he was a talented college player who fell because of off-the-field issues. If so, what did you think about him? Yes, I did write up Preston Williams, and I liked him. I didn't love him. And he certainly outperformed my expectations through the eight games, uh, seven games that he played. I guess it was eight games, seven and a half that he played for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, My impressions on Preston, uh, first of all, he was a very prominent recruit, uh, had some off-the-field issues that prompted him to transfer to Colorado State. He was a high-volume receiver in a spread offense there. And the production didn't necessarily match, at least in my mind, ahead of the draft, with where he was at from a polished perspective, you know, from a physicality perspective, he was a bully. And you could see that he was a bully. He beat guys up at the catch point, and he did all that. And that's what he carried over to the NFL. But I was really impressed with how quickly Preston Williams turned the corner as far as his ability to get all press coverage. And, and, you know, he got some reps from the slot. But, you know, a, a guy of his size, he showed more nuance his rookie year than what I was expecting to see based on his college film. And some of that may have well come back to 
the offense that they ran as well at Colorado State, in which you're granted a lot of free access and free releases. So that's that's always the difficult and challenging nuance that's required with college scouting is a lot of times they're they're asked to do things or not asked to do things, on the other hand, uh, that create challenges for projecting it forward. Next question comes from Soccer1237. Question for you. Who are you looking at to step up on our special teams to make us an elite team in that phase of the game? Our special teams was very good in 2019 and was only one was one of the only bright spots. With Walt Aikens gone, anyone you are looking to step up his game, who do you think will return the most kicks and punts for us? Great, great questions. And some kind words in, in here for Locked on Dolphins, which we greatly appreciate as well. Man, the Walt Aikens, you know, Walt was here for a while. And uh, I believe he came in in 2014 out of Liberty. He's a fun player as a defensive back, but the, he never really caught on on defense. But he was a special team staple for the Dolphins. Who do I expect will tackle some of that this year? I think Clayton Fedgelum, who they signed in free agency, who uh, rotational safety, but again, you know, with Cincinnati, he was... Uh, more of a special teams guy than he was a, a permanent fixture on the defensive side of the football. Uh, that's the first name that comes to my mind when I'm thinking about, okay, how do you go about replacing like a staple gunner? Uh, I know Mac Hollins is interesting because uh, he has, has been given a lot of gracious feedback from uh, his time at Philadelphia as far as his special teams appeal as a gunner. But Fezzelum's that guy for me. He's played over 300 snaps on special teams in each of his four seasons. He's only played over 300 snaps once on defense. He's only played over 200 snaps on defense once in four seasons. But he's played in 83, 82, and 85% of the Bengals' or special team snaps over the last three years. As far as returning kicks, and it could be Malcolm Perry if he makes the active roster. I'd still like to see Jakeen Grant in that role because he's very good at it. And I wouldn't sleep on Igbo either. By the way, Igbo signed his contract, or agreed to terms on his contract yesterday, locking in the Dolphins' second or third and final first-round pick to agree to terms and second-to-last Dolphins player to sign. So that's a big win for the Dolphins ahead of rookies reporting on Thursday for their first day of COVID testing. Colby Dunn, awesome host. Thank you. You're an awesome listener. Who would be your surprise prediction to make the 55-man roster? I would like to call this out because uh, I think it's important. Uh, the... New collective bargaining agreement features expanded rosters on game days, but the Dolphins and all 31 other NFL teams will still have to cut their active roster to 53 men, which was the old number. And on any given game week, you can call up two players from your practice squad to dress with the active roster. Obviously, they expanded the practice squad sizes. But it's it's a 55-man game day roster, but your active players is still 53 men. So that's kind of a a weird question because, you know, if, if you're asking me my 
and that's what I'm um, going to give you, Colby. I'm going to give you a potential surprise or two for the 53-man roster uh, because some of these UDFAs, like you know, probably Kirk Merritt and Benito Jones, like I'd expect them to end up being uh, a practice squad guys first and foremost. Producer is pulling up the depth chart so I can glean over potential surprises. I know people liked Anel Stanley. I think it might be a numbers game for him, though, because you're going to have your starting five, Jackson, Flowers, Karras, Davis, and Hunt, plus Michael Dieter, who can play all the spots as a third-round pick from 2019. That's six. Julian Davenport is the swing tackle. That's seven. Solomon Kindly, guard only, is eight. Danelle Stanley would have to be the ninth and, and probably final offensive lineman that they carry. And he's going to have to beat out. The, the numbers for guys he's going to have to beat out, the biggest upsets are going to be Danny Isadora and Deion Calhoun, was, who was on the roster last year. Stanley, can we feel like there's some appeal to play him at guard as well? 6'3", 321, probably. That could help his cause. More cross-training you can have, the better off you're going to be. I keep going back to Gary Jennings Jr. from uh, Seattle, who we got off waivers last year as a 2019 fourth-round pick. You look at the usage that he had at West Virginia and then the usage that uh, the Dolphins could use in the slot as a guy who runs in the four threes. He makes some sense. I think he's another surprise, potential surprise uh, to make the active roster. Uh, 16 hours ago, Ryan T., power to the pod, love the pod, look forward to listening every day. Thank you. Have asked around and would love to hear your thoughts. Who would you rather build your team around, a Hall of Fame head coach or a Hall of Fame quarterback? Fins up. Man, that's a very challenging proposition. <sighs> I will say this, it's probably, we, we've seen Hall of Fame coaches win with only modest quarterbacks, and we've seen Hall of Fame quarterbacks win with modest coaching. I think it's easier for a Hall of Fame quarterback to drag the rest of the team for a championship, because if you're a Hall of Fame quarterback, you're typically, Dan Marino notwithstanding, but he had a Hall of Fame head coach anyway, so it's neither here nor there. Don't like talking about it anyway. You're typically going to be good enough and you're going to be in the postseason enough that you'll catch fire once and you'll win a championship. If you're a Hall of Fame head coach and you're trying to coach and drag your team to championships without a competent or good quarterback, you got to have the defense right. You got to have the offensive line right. You got to have the ground get like there's so many other variables versus if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback because he's on the field, right? He's the the straw that stirs the drink. I think it's easier to win a championship with a Hall of Fame quarterback without a Hall of Fame head coach. Seabass. Awesome podcast. Easily my favorite Miami Dolphins podcast right now. Thank you. Here's my question. Who are two players, one on each side of the ball, that no one is talking about that will play a significant amount of snaps and an important role on the team? Okay. 
offensively, this guy might be Julian Davenport if Austin Jackson is not ready to command the starting tackle position right out of the gate. I've been very quick to say, hey, look, tackle play can't be any worse than last year. You might as well put Austin Jackson out there and let him learn on the job. But if if the restrictions with the preseason and, and the you know lack of game reps in the preseason and the restrictions and mini camps and OTAs and rookie camps and all that kind of stuff has prevented Jackson from working on his technique to the point where the Dolphins would feel better putting somebody else out there instead. Julian Davenport may get the call to start the year, in which case I think he's the logical choice. Defensively, man, it's tough because we've talked so much about this secondary, at least on this show. Maybe Elan and Roberts as kind of a chess piece rotational back, you know, you get into to passing down and distances and, and he's going to bring a little bit more value to the table. I'll go with Elandon Roberts, who signed here on a short-term one-year deal. So, is that it? I think that's it. iTunes reviews. If you left a review and it's not showing, the most recent review here is showing from 14 hours ago from Seabass asking about significant amounts of snaps on each side of the ball. If you left one and it didn't show up, I'll get you next week. Because like even we did this on Friday for last week's version of Power to the Pod. And there was a review from Friday that didn't show up that I tackled today. So leave those reviews. I'll make sure I hit them as they come in as I record. But it's now time to switch gears to the Twitter section for the Twitter questions. And we get a lot today. Starting with a question from Brandon that asks, what do you think of moving Raekwon McMillan to outside linebacker? He's a good run stopper. Have McMillan, Baker, Gruger Hill or Roberts, and Van Noy as your three or your four outside linebackers, presumably in a 3-4 defense. Uh, My issue here, Brandon, with this proposition is Raekwon brings you absolutely nothing from a pass rush perspective, and these outside, you know, outside linebackers in an odd front, you have to be able to challenge up the field, and you have to be able to threaten offensive tackles, or else you are literally just a placeholder. And while I do think McMillan on the early downs could feasibly roll onto the line of scrimmage, uh, you also then have to get into whether or not he can set the edge and whether or not he can play to the sideline and turn runs back inside. And he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to do that. And he's better, in my opinion, in traffic coming downhill than he is scraping and flowing laterally. So I think there's some questions there that would have me apprehensive to really buy into this idea but I do think in certain downs and distances when they're, where they're trying to mix and match personnel and get certain looks, he can be a physical presence that could play directly over top of the tight end and, and prevent clean releases off the line of scrimmage. Jacques, where I live in Virginia, if I want great food and to watch the games with other people, I have to go to a Bills-themed bar or restaurant. Do you have a Dolphin-centric location to go to on game day? Uh, my office downstairs, which is very much a 
uh, Dolphins-themed restaurant or bar, which I am the owner, host, server, bartender, you name it. And we get a good workout on game days. But uh, I stay home, uh, especially the last couple of years, because it's a lot of work and notations and throughout the course of the game. I have to have stories and angles for Dolphins Wire ready to go. So going out to the game, unless I'm at the game, is a challenge. Jack, analysts have said when two is ready, he should start. Even if it means week one, I disagree. With so many new offensive linemen, I think it's logical to allow them at least a few weeks to develop chemistry. Will that be a factor in Flores' decision? Yeah, so so my opinions here, Jack, I generally fall on the same side of the fence as you, although I have acknowledged as we've done more preparations for the 2020 season, that this Changeli offense and the ball being out so quick and the, the prominence of the screen game, it does mitigate to some degree the amount of time a quarterback is going to hold the ball within the pocket, and you're going to protect him from a lot of pressures naturally just by the design of the offense. Is that something Brian Flores himself will actually take into consideration? I have no idea. Although I will assume Brian's probably going to take it from a lot of different angles. Every possible angle, he's going to weigh the pros and cons before making that decision. As any responsible, good, effective head coach would do. And I happen to think we have one of those now. Thrilled to have him. Ian wants to know why Robert Hunt is still unsigned. It's a great question. The Dolphins for a really long time came out like, uh, gangbusters, and they signed a bunch of their rookies. Then they kind of hit the wall with it when it was Igbo and Robert Hunt. And the Browns have since gone on and signed their entire rookie class. Uh, so the Dolphins failed to to close out their rookie class signings first, and that's okay. Why is Robert Hunt unsigned? I have no idea. Am I worried about Robert Hunt being unsigned? I am not, personally. I think they still have a couple days here to get this thing ironed out. I don't foresee any long-term issues. The rookie wage scale uh, prevents a lot of the uh, conflict that can come in, in contract negotiations, so it's probably some fine print here or there, but I'm not worried, and I think the Dolphins will probably get this taken care of by the time it comes uh, where it would be a detriment to getting him into the facility, which they the rookies are scheduled to come in on the Thursday of this week for their first round of COVID testing. They have two negative tests, then they can come in, and it sounds like they're going to do some some classroom learning for several days and uh, continue to ease players in to be able to flag and identify, hey, he, you know, positive COVID tests, let's get quarantined and make sure we're protecting and incubating our building. T-Coop. Um, power to the pod. Talk me off the ledge with Austin Jackson. I think he was the worst pick we made out of the whole draft. I don't have faith in him long term, and we should be looking for another left tackle in the 2021 NFL draft. Agree or disagree? I'll be honest with you, man. Um, I was not crazy about the Austin Jackson pick, but I think about some of the other highly athletic tackles that have come in and surprised me that I was similarly low on. I think of Brian O'Neill out of Pittsburgh, who went to Minnesota. He was a player to me who I was lukewarm. And granted, he didn't go in the top 20, but he was a second round pick to the Vikings. 
He wasn't a player who I thought had a lot of appeal. I thought he was extremely raw. I thought he was just an athlete. And Brian O'Neill has since gone on to find his fair share of success with the Vikings, and he's a promising young starting offensive tackle who's an asset because of the style of play that the Vikings play. Austin Jackson is not as athletic. He doesn't profile the same as Brian O'Neill. But that was a player for me in my pre-draft evaluations that I said, man, like, I'm ready to sell all my Brian O'Neill stock. He would not be a player that is for me. The question is not if Austin Jackson was for me or not. The question is, is Austin Jackson for the Dolphins? Because Brian O'Neill was for the Vikings. And I think there's enough parallels here between the raw strength that he has, you know, if you watched his games from last year, remember, he had a bone marrow transplant during the summer to save his sister's life, which negatively impacted his playing shape, game day conditioning, uh, strength, agility. It really set him behind the rest of his teammates. And I think once you saw him settle in on the back half of the year, The athleticism was there. The strength was there. And I think he's a ball of clay that this team is betting on. He has the things you can't coach, so now let's coach him on the things you can coach. I don't know about giving up on him on year one, but I would say this. If there is any clear and blatantly obvious best player available that is an offensive lineman at left tackle, center, guard, you take him next year. The Dolphins still have two spots up in the air here, potentially three. Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt figure to be long-term fixtures. Say we go out, we get Creed Humphrey or Wyatt Davis in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. There's three spots. Okay, Eric Flowers is here for three years. There's four. You still got a four spot. It's going to be Solomon Kindly, Michael D. Like, who's going to step into that other spot? Probably won't be Jesse Davis. But I think you can you you still have enough flexibility between Jackson and Hunt as the young pieces here that you should be available to, to take any best available offensive lineman and still get a combination of five that's going to make the offensive line an asset to your team. Jeff, one preseason game seems to be the compromise. Do you want to even see Fitz play or just Tua? Does Fitz even need a preseason game? Fitz doesn't need it. Does the chemistry and the synchrony of the offense need it? Maybe. It's a lot of new pieces. You'd probably like to see a few possessions. If Tua is healthy, if Tua, assuming Tua is cleared for action, here is how I would choose to handle the preseason. The one preseason game that we're talking about in this, this hypothetical, which we might not even get. We might not get a preseason game at all. By the time it's all said and done. I would play Fitz for the first quarter. I would play Tua for the second and third. And I would play Josh Rosen for the fourth. Because even if I get any positive reps for Josh Rosen as well to potentially uh, revive any interest that there may be across the league from some teams that want to do as the Dolphins did, which was try and skip the line with a flyer, you know, Rosen in a more simplified offense might be able to play a little faster than he played last year. You can get some good reps on him. Maybe you can generate some interest for him. 
David, if Bobby McCain disappoints at free safety, who are some options in both the draft and free agency you would look to target, and are there a lot of them? Could you see us pursuing a bit name like Justin Simmons or maybe using one of our first four draft picks on a free safety? Draft, yes. Uh, Justin Simmons, I I think the only reason Justin Simmons hasn't signed a long-term deal to this point with the Broncos is because of COVID and the uncertainty that's there with the cap in the long term in 2021. You know, are they going to divide the rev share losses over a 10-year stretch between each of the 32 teams? Are they going to do a one-year bite-the-bullet, teams restructure their contracts and push a bunch of guaranteed money to 2022 and build a bridge? Hard to say. For some teams, that's not going to be an option. Some teams are going to get hit hard and have to cut guys. Uh, but I think with a guy like Simmons, the Broncos have enough flexibility. He wants to be there. They want him there. I, I just think they don't want to make that commitment until they get more clarity on what the cap looks like. I think a lot of this traction will probably happen uh, once the season kind of gets underway and there there's some stability of, okay, everybody's going to play, but there's going to be no fans so this is what we can forecast. Here's our television deals. This is what, what our plan is. And then you'll start to see teams move again. As far as the draft, true free safeties. I don't know if they're going to go for like a Malik Hooker, like single high free safety kind of guy. He'd be an interesting guy to bring in here. And I believe he's going to be an expiring contract because the Colts declined his fifth-year option. So it's 20. I believe so. Put me down. Uh, Malik Hooker is an interesting one uh, as a true free safety, but his tackling is going to be something that hurts him in the eyes of the Dolphins. I think instead of seeing a true single high guy, I think you'll probably see the Dolphins look for kind of another hybrid, two hybrid safeties, three hybrid safeties if you're going to include Brandon Jones, where like they can run the alley and fill in the run game. They can play in shallow zone. Uh, They have enough functional range that they could play single high free, but you're going to be playing a lot of uh, one cover one, like one man. And um, you're always going to have that roamer and prowler who's not going to be cleaning up a bunch of messes on the back end because the Dolphins have good corners. Paris Ford from Pitt is a name to watch. I think he's an interesting player. I think he checks a lot of boxes that the Dolphins will like. Coming around the bend here to finish up, let's go rapid fire with some of these. Politically fin correct. Make an off-the-wall prediction for this year's Dolphins. For example, Tua's first touchdown pass is completed to Tua. Ball is batted out of the air, and Tua runs it in. Um, I think Byron Jones doubles his career interceptions this year. How's that? Jones has two career interceptions, and Cowboys fans decided they want to tar him for it and give him a hard time and say, oh, Byron Jones isn't top corner because he doesn't pick the ball off. Well, what are the targets looking like? How many passes defense does he have? He's got two. I think he gets at least two this year. Maybe not as off the wall as you were looking for, but Jay Metch, with wide receiver being most likely a target position in next year's draft, you've mentioned Waddle and Moore's ideal fits. My question is, what are the thoughts on Jamar Chase? I haven't heard you mention him with the others. Reason why, uh, to be completely honest, is I don't think the Dolphins are going to sniff him. Uh, I think Chase is probably going to be a top five pick. I think the Bengals will be a worse team than the Dolphins. And with the Bengals, 
losing AJ Green in free agency this upcoming year, as you know, if provided they they choose to move on. Reuniting Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow would make a lot of sense. They're going to have to need a wide receiver. I think you need a top five pick, top eight pick, to feel like you've got a shot at Jamar Chase. Connor, with all the trades that happened in this past year, in your opinion, what was the worst and best trade the Dolphins have made in the past 10 years? Oh, boy. That's a, that's a, pot, that's a show topic. I'm going to like that one right now. Connor probably just got a notification. He's like, whoa. So, Connor, I'm going to do a show on that because that's a great question. There's a lot of layers there. Let's see here. Ira Bry. Hope I said that right. Love the podcast. You do a great job. Thank you. My question is, with Jordan... Reed still available. Could you see us signing him as he could provide some depth to this tight end room? No, I, I think Jordan is probably probably about as done as you're going to get uh, regarding the concussions that he's had, the head injuries. Uh, I do think what the Dolphins choose to do in the long term at tight end is a interesting subplot because you've got Kaseki, who's a very unique Skill set as a vertical seam stretcher. He's not like a a super fluid guy, but he's not an inline guy either. So how do you choose to attack a backup for that? Do you go with more of an H, which is a, a guy who can play off the line of scrimmage in the backfield? A move piece guy. Do you go with a, a traditional Y like a Durham Smythe long term? Or Gusecki, who I'd classify as an F tight end, but he doesn't really have a lot of quickness at the top of his routes to create separation. He relies on physicality and catch radius and length. Not an easily replicatable spot to, to put a backup into. So that'll be a challenge. Tone total. What player that we didn't get, that we had a good shot at, would have changed our fortunes for the best? Deion Sanders in 94, Barry Sanders in 2000, or Drew Brees in 2006, taking into consideration the team and the coaching staff that the player would have been surrounded with. Okay, so I'm going to say no to Barry Sanders because the quarterback situation with Jay Fiedler, you know, I understand Jay had some wins and losses success, but we, we were riding an elite defense that year. I've, if you could have told me I could have got a good quarterback in 2000, that would have been the window. Breeze in 06 is also challenging because you think about the 07 Dolphins. That team was trash. Team went 1-15. Cam Cameron couldn't coach his way out of a wet paper bag. Deion Sanders in 94 is interesting. We got Marino. We got Shula. It would have been a two-year blend with all those guys. And then Jimmy Johnson would have been there. I'll still say Drew Breeze because I think he's the... Obviously, you've seen the duration that he's played now. He's played, this will be, what, year 14 in New Orleans? I think that amount of time, you, you even if you could have took, taken your lumps in 07, I think Breeze would have been a bridge that would have provided the Dolphins an opportunity to have some team success. Tom, are there any low-cost depth or vet-free agents that you think the Dolphins might look into? Delaney Walker's tight end, too. Eric Reed to add safety experience. Uh, Dotson as a swing tackle. I think there are, but I also don't think the Dolphins have any interest in adding guys. 
the, the Dolphins have had uh, four roster vacancies. They were granted an exemption for to carry an extra player because of the international player program, and they haven't signed anybody. So I, I just don't think that – I think they like what they got, and I think they understand this is a long-term thing. They don't want to bring players in that would take valuable reps away from younger players. I have more good questions to get to, but uh, we're out of time today. So look for some of these over at Dolphins Wire. I've already got one that's going to be a show topic for the rest of the week. i am probably got two or three more that I could turn into full shows. So Power to the Pot is going to turn into a, a week's-long programming here because you guys are, are, have brought a lot of really compelling topics that we will commit larger time chunks to. So keep an eye out for all that. I greatly appreciate you guys carving some time out of your Tuesday to listen in. Kyle Krabs signing off for Locked on Dolphins. I hope you keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins and you come back and see us again tomorrow.